So welcome to another show. Uh, today we have Paul Thornton on the show, who is a leadership specialist and author. So thank you very much, Paul, for being on the show. Thank you for inviting me. I look forward to uh, chatting. Yeah, I think this is a great area as well. You know, whether it's someone who is a manager at work or whether they want to take uh, leadership in their own family, I think it's really important that people understand the importance of leadership and the styles a really important question for me is what's the difference between a manager and a leader mm -hmm. and okay. the details <laughs> that make it makes them different because i think for a lot of people they don't understand there is a difference mm -hmm. and yeah if you can shed some light on that for us please paul mm -hmm. yeah I, I think managers use current methods procedures processes uh to get the work done uh, leaders, on the other hand, want to change something. They want to change the process or structure or methods. Uh, managers basically like the status quo, whereas leaders want to change something for the better. They want to improve things. They want to make it more efficient. They want to make it more um, effective, whatever it might be. But there is a difference. There's certainly some overlap, I think, in the skills that you need for each of those. But the focus and the um, yeah angle that each is taking is different, definitely. Is, is there also a case of a manager being more like, do as I say, not as I do, whereas a leader is more about leading by example, as you said, providing some level of creativity and having a vision that people can really buy into? What I've noticed from obviously my uh, career, et cetera, is that you do notice a difference. You get leaders who, as you say, you want to follow, you want to learn from, whereas there's managers who will say do this, but actually do something else. They'll be very, uh, they will use their status and power to uh, sort of discipline you in, in some respects, whereas a leader isn't like that. They are more, they try and put yourself on your level, but also with that, element of superiority as well if that makes sense um well the way i look at it is that both the manager and the leader basically use three different styles or three different approaches and one of them is directing uh so there's times when a manager or leader can be directing now a manager when they're directing they're telling the person what to do how to do it when to have it done by a leader is, when they direct, they're telling the person what change or changes they have to make, how they have to make them, and they're telling them really what, what they need to do, but it relates to a change, okay? Now, that's one approach. Another approach is discussing. When a manager uses a discussing approach, he or she is asking questions, like, what do you think the goal should be? What do you think the plan should be, how would it work? What are the obstacles? You know, they're soliciting their thoughts and ideas to see how they're thinking about it. When a leader does that, they're discussing change. What change do we need to make? Uh, why do we need to make the change? Uh, what, what can we do, et cetera? So what I'm saying is managers and leaders both use these three styles but again, the focus is different for the manager and leader. The third style I didn't mention is delegating. 
Uh, a manager can delegate to an employee if, if they have a lot of experience and know-how and they know how to do whatever it is, you can just delegate the assignment or task to that person. A leader, again, focusing on change, they're delegating to the individual to do make some changes to their process or approach or whatever it might be, but they're empowering them to make the change. So yeah. I think each of them use those three styles, but their focus of what their, you know, emphasis is or the direction they're going in is different for the manager and the leader. How does that make sense to you or is yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure we'll come and talk about all of those three in a little bit more yeah. detail. Yeah. But very, if, we, if we're looking from at this from the top down and we're starting to break down, okay, there's the three leadership styles, directing, discussing and delegating. Mm-hmm. And we can understand the basics of what they are. Is there not a way that you can actually be all three and use those depending on your situation? So I'll give you a very simple example that's just come to mind. So you might direct your children in how to behave. You Mm -hmm. might discuss with your wife on how you should best play things out, even though you're the leader. And you Mm -hmm. might delegate things such as looking after the house, for example, you might delegate work to a plumber, to an electrician, to a gardener. Mm-hmm. And actually you're incorporating all of those three leadership styles, but you're not being reliant on just one. You are understanding mm-hmm. the situation and implementing the right strategy at the right time. Is that the mark of a good leader as well? That absolutely is. You nailed it. That's exactly what the leader our manager needs to do. They need to diagnose the situation and determine what style would be most effective and appropriate for the situation. Uh, I, I even even with when I was in the business world in the same meeting, I would use all three styles. There were times in the meeting where I might be directing. Other times, I'm we would be discussing some topic. And in some cases, I'd be just delegating a task or something to one of the people on my team. So absolutely, managers, parents, teachers, coaches use all three styles. They got to figure out what is appropriate for this person in the tasks that they're doing. Yeah, well, exactly. As you said, I think that's a really important part of being someone who leads the tribe in a way you need to be the most competent one you need to probably be the most optimistic with the highest standards you need to trust mm-hmm. other people you need to probably have the best mentality as well because if you we, you know we john peterson talks about it doesn't he the hierarchy of competence the the leader generally is the most competent individual the one that's most optimistic i mean i usually give this example if you've got two leaders you've got one and this is prior to going into battle, for example. The first one says, look, this is going to be easy. We're going to win this. Think about fighting for your comrades, et cetera, et cetera. Versus the second leader that says, oh, this is going to be hard. It's going to be horrible. We're probably going to lose. You're probably going to die. The question is, well, who, which of those leaders would you follow? And I think this is the precursor to the three leadership styles is what do you stand for? What is your mentality? What is your What are your standards as someone mm-hmm. to buy into? And then the styles, I suppose, uh, how you get that out there and how you manage those beneath mm-hmm. you. Do you. Would you agree with that? Um, I, I 
I think I do. I, I think leaders do. I think all leaders have three things in common. Uh, one thing, they all have a set of core beliefs and values that guide their behavior. Uh, secondly, they're all motivated to improve the status quo. And thirdly, they use a process or an approach to get it done. Um, I think the values and beliefs, if you look into the best leaders, yeah, they are optimistic and they're positive. They believe in people. They believe in themselves. They have a can-do attitude. You know, so there's certain core similarities I think you'd find looking at leader to leader to leader. Um, no one's going to follow someone who is pessimistic and doom and gloom and has no energy and no motivation, right? We want people who are going to energize us and move us to action and to get us excited about the vision, the possibilities that they describe. Um, so yes, a leader needs to be optimistic and upbeat, positive, and have those attributes. Otherwise, people are going to say, you know, why Why would I follow that person? Yeah, it's, it's true. And again, is it a case-by-case -case basis? So some people learn best by the stick method and some people learn best by the carrot method. I know I'm I'm a carrot method. You know, I mm -hmm. like to have something to, to work towards. Look, this is what you can be. Whereas mm -hmm. other people, they don't really have that drive. It's more about, look, they need to be disciplined in order to get the best of it. Again, does that fall, form part of these? As I said, we are going to go into each of those three individually, but I want to talk mm -hmm. a bit more about a generic leadership first before we look mm -hmm. at those individually. Is that also part of part of looking at how leaders behave? Yeah, I, I think I think leaders and managers, again, we could include them as well, that they do, in fact, use carrots and sticks to motivate people. I think leaders use carrots most of the time. They're affirming. They paint a positive picture. They encourage people. Uh, you know, they do those things. There are times and there are a few people where you have to discipline. You know, you have to give them a verbal warning or you have to tell them what they're currently doing isn't cutting it and they need to make some changes or otherwise they're going to be in trouble. You know, that type of thing. But you're doing it from a standpoint that you're trying to help them improve, right? You want them to perform better. Uh, sometimes, again, tough love. We do this with our kids. Sometimes they need some tough love, some really candid comments about what they're not doing and what they should be doing. So there's times when the carrot is appropriate, and there's certainly times when the stick is appropriate. So it's a time and place for both. Is it is it a language piece as well then? So again, a lot of a lot of the time people conform to what you say about them. If you said to your kids, "You're messy, you're unorganized," are they more yeah. likely to become that? Do you then sort of talk them into becoming organized by saying, "Thank you for being so organized. Thank you for being so tidy." Do they they conform into that behavior? Yeah, I I think. I think there is something to be said about the self-fulfilling prophecy idea that the words you use to describe them um, make an impact. You know, it helps form their self-image when they're young. Uh, it starts to affect their self-talk. 
Uh, if you tell the kid enough that he's messy and disorderly and his room's a mess, he starts to believe that and starts to tell himself, his self-talk is, I'm a messy, I have a messy room or I'm messy or disorganized or whatever it might be. So yeah, you got to be careful on your word choice and use, again, a positive, affirming, uplifting type choice of words that you use to describe the person, what you see in them, the goodness you see in them, the positive things you see in them, and hopefully that influences how they evolve and what they become. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think language is a massive thing, as you said, whether it's self-talk or it's talking to someone else about something, it's Yeah. really important. It's like, for example, if you say, don't touch that, it's better to, instead of saying, you know, don't, don't touch this, touch that instead, because you're then focusing the individual's mind on what they should be doing rather than what they should, shouldn't be doing. And maybe that leads on to the first type, really, because we all talk about all, all three of them individually, the directing. Can you detail that a little bit more as to what directing is, maybe the examples of that and, and the type of person that generally uses that type of, of leadership? Yeah, if if a um, person, a, a child, an athlete, an employee, it really doesn't matter. But if they're inexperienced, if they're a novice, if they've never done a particular task before, they need and want direction. They want to be told what to do and how to do it. Uh, they need a roadmap. They need guidance on the steps they need to take to get it done. Um, a few years back, I was teaching some real young kids how to ice skate. And this one person I was working with had no experience, you know, first time they were ice skating. And like I say, they wanted me to show them to break it down into the most basic things that they needed to do to stay up on their skates and start to learn how to move a little bit. And so it was very piecemeal, very structured, do this, don't do that, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Same concept applies to an employee. If they've never done a particular task before, first time doing it, you're telling them what to do. Uh, you're showing them, demonstrating it. Uh, you may be having them observe someone else do the task take notes on what exactly the person's doing. Then you maybe have them do it and you provide feedback on what they do well, what they need to change. You know, you're directing them again on the changes they need to make. When you use a directing style, the person is learning to listen, to pay attention, first of all, to listen, to ask questions, and then to do what they're assigned to do. Um, and those are important skills, right? That's, um, those are lifelong skills. There's times in our life, depending again on what we're getting into, there's times when we want and need direction and we need to listen and pay attention and take notes and ask good questions and all that. So directing again is not a bad it's you know a lot of people think directing is bad it's not you're you're helping the person you're giving them what they need to be successful at that point in time the problem that occurs though is some managers and some leaders 
you know, always use a directing style. Even now when the person's gained experience and know-how and, you know, they're, uh, they're talented, that the manager leader is still telling them what to do. That's inappropriate. That would turn someone off. That would demotivate them. So yeah. obviously that's not good, right? Yeah. I, I love that, that the directing is when someone is new to something. I really like that because that's when they need most help. And right. yeah, I think that's really a good point as well, is that as you get, as the person becomes more experienced in that particular area, for for example, right. they probably need less direction. And right. direction at that point would be classed as something like micromanaging or being patronising and, and mollycoddling someone, treating them like mm -hmm. a, a child, essentially, and not trusting them. So, yeah, that's yeah. a really good point, that there's a fine line, isn't there, between directing someone that, to help them, but also not understanding how experienced someone is. Mm -hmm. Do you right. take, find yeah. that a lot? And that's one of the disadvantages with this type style, is that you have to risk... Or, or, or risk not offending someone essentially by using it at the incorrect time. Yeah. And, and you, you know, you might start to use a wrong style, but you need to be self-aware enough to realize this style isn't is inappropriate. This person doesn't need direction. I really should be discussing with them what they're gonna do. See how they're thinking about it. So yeah, you need to be flexible and pick up on the cues that are what's happening with your interaction with the person and decide I need to move to a different style and oftentimes it's from directing to discussing and see how they're thinking and and what have you so, so yeah so so it's discussing then so moving on to the discussion part um which is quite nice actually is that more of a collaborative approach? I know it right at the start of the podcast, I was going to mention it at the time, but we sort of moved on. You mentioned the word we. Is that mm -hmm. a case of a leader using the word we to discuss something in our goal and our objective rather than my objective? You're working for me and what I want from this. Is it mm -hmm. what we want from this? Mm -hmm. Yep. It's, it's definitely more of a we orientation and in involving them um soliciting their ideas getting their thoughts and point of view and and you're seeing you know you you're actually when you use a discussing style again the person's learning to think because you're asking questions and they have to think and respond they're also asking they're learning rather to collaborate they're learning to, if you're in a team setting, they're learning to uh, work with other people, um, build on the ideas of others, make decisions at the right time. So it, it definitely becomes a we type orientation. Um, but again, the person's learning some very important skills and they're becoming more and more independent. Now they're beginning to think for themselves, make you know, their own, gaining their own insights, making their own decisions. Um, again, it's, it's like raising a child. Early on in life, you're using a directing style with your child. As they get a little bit older, you start to discuss things more. You know, what do you think about this? And what would you do here? And you do role plays and things like that. And they're gaining more awareness, more insights, more 
effective decision-making. And then thirdly, you move on to delegation as they get a little bit older. Same thing with employees. There's a, a time and place for each style, depending on what the circumstances are and what will be most helpful again for that individual. So just, Rel- relative to the task that they're doing. Yeah. So like we said at the start, isn't it, with 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 the child versus the the wife versus the the housework. But just sticking with discussing for a moment, is yeah. it is it a two way thing? You know, you're getting ideas from them. You're then relaying it back to them. You're coming up with mm-hmm. an optimal solution. Because at the end of the day, if you're a manager, you don't always see exactly what goes on on the ground mm-hmm. on the ground level. It's like what happened to Adolf Hitler. He failed mm. to take Russia because he didn't listen to the ground soldiers about the mm-hmm. winter conditions. And mm-hmm. he didn't take on that feedback. He didn't use the discussing style. He stuck with the directing style saying, please do this. He didn't take on that feedback, which is ultimately why they lost lost that war uh, or yeah. that particular battle uh, and, and evidently the war after that. So yeah. is it a case, and you mentioned questioning, of using like the Socratic method where instead of saying, mm-hmm. you must do this, you must do that, it's, well, mm-hmm. what do you think the benefit of doing this would be? What do you think you should do next? And trying, mm-hmm. and as you said, encouraging them to think for themselves. Is that really the aim of the discussion method? Absolutely. You're, you're absolutely correct. You're, you, the manager, leader, are learning a lot in that exchange. The employee is learning a lot as well, but you're getting clarity on how they're thinking about the problem, opportunity, whatever it might be. Um, It's a interaction where both parties are learning and growing from the experience. Definitely. Fantastic. And then if we move then on to delegate, because I know you did want to to sort of touch on that a moment ago, but we sort of brought it back. Where does delegate come in then? Is that more on a on trust basis? You you're trusting them to just get on with their job. Is it that they are the maybe the smaller jobs that you're delegating? Is there a problem with under delegation or over delegation possibly as well? Yeah, those are all really good questions. Um, you want to delegate when you're confident that the person has the know how and the skills to do what they need to do. Now, you may not always be 100% sure that the person has the skills and background experience, but sometimes we take a chance and we delegate and see how they do. Um, If the person's over their head and you misdiagnosed, you have to do some coaching and help them get up to speed and, you know, help them with the assignment. Um, But... In other cases, you may want to start with a smaller task, you know, delegate something that's a little bit smaller, easier, let them go, see how they do. Um, So it varies from situation to situation, Uh, but you can always, you know, make adjustments if need be. Like I say, if you delegate it to the wrong person, the task, they really don't know what you thought they knew they're over their head, you need to pull them back in a little bit and have more discussion and coach them on what they need to do and how they should do it and that type of thing. So is it a case then when you are delegating, as you said, it's trying to give them as much as they can and not giving them 
more than they can chew essentially testing them maybe with the smaller tasks before you get them you know le letting them row a, a, a boat before they you know uh, sort of sail the titanic or drive the titanic uh, as an example Right. Yeah, I, I was uh, recently teaching my grandson how to drive um, a car. He just got his license. He's 16. So, you know, we started out in a parking lot and, and he was driving and I was just observing. You know, I was delegating to him to drive and do X, Y, Z. And I was just observing and I did give him a little bit of feedback. Um So starting in a little bit of a safer environment is probably a good thing before he's out on the highways going, you know, 60 miles an hour down the road by himself. So starting with some smaller things before you move up to something that's a little bit more, you know, challenging. I think there are times, though, too, when you have an experience or you have a person where you want to. give them a challenging assignment to see how they're going to do, right? So you're going to delegate something, you know, it's out of the comfort zone, but you want to give them a chance to show what they can do and, you know, be creative and, and work on their own and, um, you know, get the test done as they think best to do it. Yeah, make So it's a develop, it's a developmental type thing for that person, you know, but it's yeah, giving I'm them a chance. a chance to prove themselves, and maybe you know you're making them accountable for their own actions as well. And it's something that Alan Watts said that I, I really like. He said, actually, the more that you delegate, you actually have more control. And it sounds counterintuitive, but if you look at nature, for example, and your body, you you delegate. You know, you don't control how your heart beats. that's delegated to that function you don't control how your lungs breathe you know that is something that's delegated so that you you are then more free to just operate as, as you are and managers there's a lot of managers i know that under delegate and they are you know so stressed they, they want to do everything because they don't trust enough to be able to pass things on and aren't willing to let people make some level of mistake to then learn from and develop and actually the earlier that you delegate the faster you will grow people up You know, Mm you -hmm. don't want someone to be 30 years of age believing in Santa still. You want them to grow out of that early. You want them to make the mistakes in life early because otherwise Mm -hmm. Yeah. they will Yeah. be, a you know, a 30-year-old that's actually a five-year-old inside. Another Mm. point as well, I don't know what your view is on this as well, like a good leader for me should give credit for a job well done. So you see this with football managers all the time. A good manager will say, yeah, it was a team that was nothing to do with me. You know, even though they've done a fantastic job, they say it was all the players, it was all the players. And when a, a loss happens, they don't blame the players. They take the blame for when things go wrong. Is it all about accountability as well for the leader? Because I know that extrapolates across all three styles. There are certain levels of mentality. There are certain characteristics, integrity, um, courage, etc., that need to be embodied to make a good leader. Mm Are hmm they are they part of all of that as well? yeah i i let's talk about praise for a minute um if i'm using a directing style i i'm going to praise the person who does the assignment exactly the way they were told to do it you know great job you did exactly what i wanted you did exactly what i told you to do that shows me you were listening great job If I'm using a discussing style, I'm praising the person for 
for listening, for contributing, for sharing their ideas, for collaborating and uh, building on the ideas of others, you know, all those types of things. I'm praising them for doing that great job. You know, you really added value in the meeting today. You had some really good insights. You had some really good ideas. And then finally, when I'm delegating, I'm praising them for working independently. You know, good for you. You got the task done. You met the deadline. You did a great job. The quality of your project was outstanding. You know, so you're you're praising them for doing different things using each style. I think that's important. So it's like uh, conditioning, operant conditioning, where you you yeah, know you're giving them positive reinforcement. So so there's actually four um four ways you can use operant conditioning. You can use positive reinforcement. So if they've done something good, you can mm -hmm. give them like let's say five pounds. That's positive to make them do that job more. Or you can mm -hmm. actually take something away bad. So you you can say, well, you've done a really good job. We'll take away your chores. So it's still a positive for them. You could mm -hmm. do the same with punishment. You can either hit them. I'm not saying you should do this, but you should hit someone. Mm -hmm. You are giving something bad to them. Or you mm -hmm. can take away their PlayStation because mm -hmm. that is a punishment. And this is what, for me, it's really important, again, to understand who you're dealing with. Some people will work better when you take things away from them, take away their mm -hmm. chores or take away their PlayStation in either camp. Or mm -hmm. other people will work better when you give them something. Here's five pounds. Go and get yourself a beer. Mm -hmm. Or um, or on the flip side, you know, getting hit, for example, or getting something had done to them that affects them. Um, mm -hmm. again, is that all all part of it as well? Understanding how to to mould an, an individual to what you want idealistically. Yeah, I, I I think motivation is a challenging topic. I think people are are motivated by different things, and I, I think you're right. Um. When I had people reporting directly to me, one of the things I did, I was I would ask them, really, what motivates you? You know, what what types of things can I do that will bring out the best performance in you? How can I motivate you to excel? How can I motivate you to be your best, produce your best performance? And, you know, they would typically tell me what they like some people like being on teams and some people like working more as an individual uh some people like public praise some people hated that you know i had one person who said don't ever 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 recognize me in the department meetings which was like 200 people uh i would not like that i would not that would not be good you know so so everybody's a little bit different um Different things motivate different people. Uh, carrots and sticks we talked about before. Uh, money motivates some people. Praise and attention and recognition motivates people. You know, it, it varies. But finding out what it is that, that one or two things that really gets them energized and excited is important for any manager or leader to be successful. Yeah, and I'll use a couple of examples from fo football again, um, because it's quite well known, really, or soccer for anyone in there in the states. But a mm. recent manager, Eddie Howe, he, he manages Newcastle. The, they have dipped off a little bit of late, but they've they've really had a you know a good few seasons. And one of the things he did was as soon as he came into the dressing room, 
he asked everyone to give give him their girlfriends or wife's names and their kids' names. Yeah. Because then he wants to get to know them. He doesn't just care about what they're like on the pitch. He wants Mm -hmm. to know what it means to them specifically. So he might be like, well, well, how does Susan think about your performance or hope she's all right? How would mm-hmm. that, you know, how how does your you know your daughter Claire or your son Roger or whatever it may be how's he mm-hmm. feeling does he want to come to the game and it makes it much more personable. The other mm. the other example I've got is Alex Ferguson. I'm sure everyone knows who Alex Ferguson is. And there was a time where Eric Cantona at the time was obviously the best player. They were all at some sort of Man United event, and Eric Cantona came in in uh, trainers and t-shirt. When the rest of the the team were all in suits and ties, etc., and Alex Ferguson knew he couldn't really control Cantona to an extent, and actually he had to sort of let let him be that a little bit aloof, but use it to his advantage. So what he said, the, the other players said, "Well, how come he can wear a hoodie and and and, and trainers and joggers, etc.?" He says, "Well, when you can play as good as him, you can do the same." Mm-hmm. And I really like that example because instead of trying to, you know. Force everyone to to sort of mold into uh, a specific uh, idealistic nature that you want. It's sometimes saying, yeah. "What are your quirks? What are your issues? How can yeah. we use that for my betterment or our betterment?" And I think that was a really mm-hmm. great example uh, of that because then the other players are saying, "Well, actually, yeah, if I do improve my performance, I get to you know mess around and do all of this." And actually, he was never going to let them, but it's going to mm-hmm. elevate their performance. Um, and mm-hmm. I think that's a really, really smart way of doing things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So in terms of these three um, um, sort of leadership styles, are they all detailed in your book then, are they, Paul? Or... Uh, yeah, they are. I um, list them and I, I, I also make the point that leadership styles, management styles are those three, but really they apply to being a parent, teacher, coach, team leader. Um, It really is a wide applicability, you know? Um, And I think we, we basically use these three styles all the time in a variety of roles that we find ourselves in. And the, the trick for me is figuring out what style is going to help the person or child or athlete perform and improve and grow and develop. Uh, The more I can do that, the more I'm helping them, you know, increase their performance and perform better. And that's really the objective. And that's what a manager or leader should be doing, I think, is helping people improve and perform their best. Yeah, I love that, helping people improve. You have to know what they want from the situation as well. It's not just all about what yeah. you want, it's what do they want. And mm-hmm. if we can marry that up, then, you know, it's a win-win for everyone. Uh, what What mm-hmm. is the name of the book, Paul? Uh, the name of my book is um, Leadership Styles. It's um, it's a short book. It's like 50, 60 pages. pages. It's available on Amazon and... Um, it's a quick read. All, all of my books, I've written many books, but all of my books are short. And uh, I have another one on leadership. It's called The Leadership Process. 
Uh, that one also is about 50 pages or so, and that goes into some the four major steps that leaders take in, you know, making change happen, I guess I could say. Uh, but yeah, they're available on Amazon and uh, they're short and to the point and um, inexpensive. So it's, uh, I, I think it's, again, practical. I, I always, <laughs> I, I'm on LinkedIn a lot and I see these articles about people saying there's 12 styles of managing and leading and there's eight styles of being a leader and this and that. I try to simplify things and make it very practical and usable for managers and leaders. So that's my focus. And that's what I try to do. Simplify as much as I can. Yeah, definitely. I think with anything, you don't want to overcomplicate things. You actually want to simplify it, make it easy for people yeah. to understand and make it uh, much more um, comprehensible, uh, essentially. So is there any final parts that we, we've maybe not discussed about leadership that you really want to, you know, drill home and if not any final any final points not on leadership but i have one question for you <clears throat> did you read all of those books in your background no so this is actually a uh a, 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 a visual background it's not oh it is okay my, so that's not your real, actually real my room. office um okay i don't know if you can see sometimes it just goes out of out of kilter okay. but, okay. but yeah i mean i would i would love to live in a property like this the old the old architecture um is is so much more characterful than the I agree new. yeah um it's just and again this comes back to to well, a strong view I have a lot of a lot of the time nowadays people do things for profit the bottom the bottom line economics you know what they want to mm. make as much money they mm. want to cut as many corners as possible and you know they don't actually love what they do. In the past, people never used to work as much. And these were just projects they loved to build. Everything from, um, you know, lampposts to benches were, were just designed beautifully. If you look at mm. even those smaller details, you know, you had mm. statues in the buildings and whatever. Now mm. it's just, you look at the buildings now, it's just square, boring crap. Mm. And, mm. and it actually puts you in a bad mood. Like if you look at a good building... And you're in a nice environment. You feel better. Mm -hmm. you feel better about yourself. There's actually studies done on this. For example, the older properties have high ceilings, and you have mm. better ideas in rooms mm -hmm. with high ceilings because it's expansive. If you go yeah. into a little box and these new new builds with really low ceilings, your your mind is not as expansive, and you yeah. and you then go into you know you don't think outside the box as as, as they mm. say. So, so yeah, I think that's that's a big thing, and that's what I'm trying to incorporate with this background is that actually we want to open our mind, we want to take in great information such as yours. It's all about education, it's all about mm -hmm. um, improving ourselves, but also discussing some of those controversial things as well, um, getting the truth. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, yeah, thank you very much, Paul, for being a valued guest. I've learned stuff myself. Obviously, made some notes, and you know, as, as with everything, um, there's always mm -hmm. something to learn. You can learn something from everyone you've ever met whether mm -hmm. you feel that you're superior to that person or not there is also always something to learn so so yeah thanks mm -hmm. again um in the show notes or comments whatever you want to call it i'll leave down links for the books and uh, obviously a bit about you um okay, other than that, um thanks again paul thank you i enjoyed chatting with you and uh appreciate the opportunity thank you paul